Good morning, everybody. You can tell that summer is here and some people are away, but it's great to be together to worship God. As I call to worship this morning, I'm going to read some words of a contemporary worship song. How precious, O Lord, is your unfailing love. We find refuge in the shadow of your wings. We feast, Lord Jesus, on the abundance of your house and drink from your river of delights. With you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Hush. Let us be very still, if only for a moment. Let us be still, because here and now, God is listening. Listening, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the thoughts whirling in our minds. And not just to the thoughts we are thinking but to the feelings deep in our hearts. Hush. Let us be very still, if only for a moment. Let us be still, because here and now, God is loving. Loving not just the parts of us that are lovely, or lovable, but those that are unlovely or unlovable, and not just loving us as we know ourselves, but loving the us we do not yet know. Hush, let us be still, if only for a moment. Let us be still, because here and now, God is blessing. Blessing us in the everyday lives we live, and blessing us with special moments. And not just blessing us in the times of happiness, but blessing us too in the times of trial. Hush. Let us be still, if only for a moment. Let us be still, because here and now God is with us, listening to our praises, receiving our prayers, giving us hope, sending us out to serve. Hush now. Let us be still before God. Amen. We read first from Psalm 36. 
page five, five, six, I think, and then pocket. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes, for in their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They have ceased to be wise and to do, and to do good. Even on their beds they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high-born and low find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of, river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you. Your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. And from St. John's Gospel, a selection of verses uh, with linking prose Verses in the translation or paraphrase known as the message. Jesus said, I came so that they can have real and eternal life. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. Even before Jesus began his ministry, John the baptizer pointed him out and called, this is the one, the one I told you was coming after me, but in fact was ahead of me. He has always been ahead of me, has always had the first word. We all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We got the basics from Moses. And then this exuberant giving and receiving, this endless knowing and understanding, all this came through Jesus, the Messiah. A little further on, the Gospel writer reflects, the one that God sent speaks God's words. And don't think he rations out the spirit in bits and pieces. The Father loves the Son extravagantly. He turned everything over to him so he could give it away. A lavish distribution of gifts. That is why whoever accepts and trusts the Son gets in on everything. Life 
complete and forever. After he had fed the multitude, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more, ever. On the final and climactic day of one of the great feasts, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me this way, just as the scripture says. On the night of his arrest, alone in the garden, Jesus prayed, Now I'm returning to you. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. Jesus said, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Seems a long time ago that I chose the title for today's service. I knew it would coincide with the end of the West End Festival, and it seemed that life in all its fullness was an appropriate theme for such an occasion. The West End Festival has seen us overwhelmed with opportunities for education and entertainment, for exercise and enlightenment. Whether we wanted to learn to speak Italian or to cook Indian, to watch the bard in the botanics or listen to choirs at the cathedral and any number of other alliterative opportunities, there has been a full programme of events to satisfy our every whim. It's been a very full few weeks, but has it been fulfilling? Are we feeling invigorated and excited about life, or exhausted and in need of a lie-down? Or maybe are we feeling a bit of both? And in any case, what has any of this got to do with abundant life, or life in all its fullness? In fact, What do we mean by such expressions anyway? Maybe it's in keeping with the spirit of the West End Festival that rather than preaching you a nice straightforward sermon, I'm going to use some poetry and prose to help us in our reflecting as well as the scripture lead us specifically to look at some particular thoughts. So I'm going to read a short passage to you. If when you hear it, you immediately know who wrote it, just keep stum for a minute or two, because I want us to hear it and try to think about this person's life. Sometimes I rose at dawn and stole into the garden while the heavy dew lay on the grass and flowers. 
For you know what joy it is to feel the roses pressing softly into the hand or the beautiful motion of the lilies as they sway in the morning breeze. Sometimes I caught an insect in the flower I was plucking and I felt the faint noise of a pair of wings rubbed together in a sudden terror as the little creature became aware of the pressure from without. Another favourite haunt of mine was the orchard where the fruit ripened early in July. The large downy peaches would reach themselves into my hand and as the joyous breezes flew about the trees, the apples tumbled at my feet. Oh, the delight with which I gathered up the fruit into my pinafore, pressed my face against the smooth cheeks of the apples, still warm from the sun, and skipped back to the house. I wonder, you have to interact with me at this point. What kind of life do you imagine this person to have? A carefree life, thank you, Nancy. A carefree life. Other thoughts? I think I need some wake-up potion this morning, don't I? A carefree life, a happy life. Is this a young person, an old person, do you think, that's being talked about? They sound young. (laughs) Sorry? You thought middle-aged. Well, it could be a middle-aged person reflecting back on their childhood, yeah. Okay. This is going to be hard work this morning, isn't it? (laughs) The writer of this passage is Helen Keller. And I guess most people know who Helen Keller was. She was deaf and blind from an early age. And yet she could write of such pleasure in the created world. And actually, when you know it's her that wrote it, you realise that there is no description of visual or audio. It's all description of feeling, um, the warmth the smells, those kind of things. Did she have a fulfilling life? Did she have life in its fullness? In one of my funeral anthologies, one of those strange things that ministers have on their shelves, is a poem that comes from Helen House Hospice, which is in Oxfordshire in England, and was the first specifically children's hospice in Britain. And at Helen House and now at Douglas House, which is a place for late adolescents and young adults, people go who have life-limiting conditions, often of which affect their abilities to live the lives that we think are normal. When you look at me, you will measure me by my awareness, by my response, by my age, by my development. And you will shake your head and find me lacking. But for me, you are measuring with the wrong cup. For I have one possession which brims and overflows beyond all others. I have my family's love. This cup they give to me holds also their agony and hopelessness, waiting and hoping, 
tears and pain, aloneness and fear. But in the end, all these are swallowed up in the deepness of their love. For now, in each same moment, it both lets me go and will never let me go. So measure me if you must. But measure me too with my cup. And you will find me full. The website for Helen House and Douglas House describes its aims thus. It says, the emphasis is on living life to the full, even when that life may be short. Questions of how we measure life, how we measure value. Do we confuse quantity with quality, ability with fulfilment? Can a short life be abundant? Can it be life in all its fullness? And what do we mean by that anyway? Sometimes I think it is easier to identify what something isn't rather than what it is. Life in all its fullness, abundant life, the life of abundance, however you choose to interpret those words in the Bible, has nothing to do with the quantity of the life we have as measured in years. Lives can be very, very short and yet brimful. Or they can be incredibly long and totally empty. And it's got nothing to do with wealth or possession or opportunity. There are many wealthy Westerners who've got access to their every whim, whose lives are an aching void. And we've all seen on the television, and some of us have met, people who have very little of anything, and yet their lives overflow with vitality. Fullness of life has got nothing to do with health or safety or success or freedom from trouble. Some of the most vital and vibrant people are those whose lives seem the most difficult. I'm not saying anything new here, but sometimes it's good for us to be reminded that Christian faith doesn't make us immune from real life with all its struggles. We all know or have known people of amazing faith whose lives were cut tragically short. We all know or have heard about amazing people who've struggled, who've experienced tragedy, who've had a really tough time. Jesus didn't promise people a long life. He didn't promise them a trouble-free life. He didn't promise them they would be materially or socially successful in life. He promised them abundant life, fullness of life. But we're still no further, are we, on what that all means. 
as I was preparing this week, I found myself calling to mind a poem or a hymn, I'm not quite sure which it is, that picks up some of these themes. Apparently in some parts of America it is used as a hymn. God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. God hath not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He hath not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. God hath not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel, needing no guide. Never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labour, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. A lot of double negatives in there, but hopefully you got the gist of it. Is the poet right? Does this resonate with what the Bible says to us about life in all its fullness? Well, I think if we return to those glimpses of John's gospel read for us by Graham, we discover that it does. Just three uh, bits that I'm going to pick up on. Firstly, John 1.16. Out of the fullness of his grace, God has blessed us all. We haven't got time today to contemplate what we mean by God's grace and how we understand it. But the message translation gives us some hints when it speaks of generosity, of exuberant giving and receiving. The life of fullness is a life shaped by God's grace. grace. A life that is in turn gracious to others. For those of us who were able to hear Professor Jean Ron last Sunday, we were reminded of different aspects of love. Love for God, love for others, love for creation, and love for self. And the way that these four are interrelated. The life of fullness into which Jesus' followers are growing is a life characterized by love and grace. A life which values self and values others, a life which appreciates its wider context, creation of which it is a part, and which is lived in the gaze of a God who is love. And of course, the fullness of God's grace was ultimately demonstrated for us at Calvary, when all that is evil and death-dealing was somehow absorbed into God's very self. And life, hope, and freedom were offered for and to all. And then John 3.34, the commentator, the author of the gospel says, The one God has sent speaks God's words because God gives him the fullness of the spirit. A spirit which later in the gospel Jesus promises to his followers. I will talk to the Father, and he will provide you another friend, so that you always have someone with you. This friend 
is a spirit of truth. Living this life of fullness is possible because we are not left alone in the struggle. The struggles come. We all know they come. But God's spirit is with us and within us. This special friend, as the message translates it. The comforter, the counsellor, the advocate. The one who comes alongside us and walks with us. To be loving and gracious through life with all the struggles and challenges it brings is not easy. And we cannot do it in our own strength. But by God's spirit, we can all become more gracious and more loving. And then John 17, 13, the great high priestly prayer of Jesus in the garden. Just imagine how you must have felt then, alone in the garden, knowing that what lay ahead of him was going to be awful. And yet he took the time to pray for his followers. He prayed that his followers would have joy in all its fullness in their hearts. Like grace, joy is one of those words that needs a lot of thinking about and it's a lot easier to say what it isn't than what it is. I don't think that joy is the same as happiness. Happiness is fleeting. It comes, it goes. But joy is something inner. And it's not the same as contentment either, I don't think. It's some kind of inner vitality that refuses to be quashed. It's more than positive thinking or optimism, and it's greater than determination. It's a kind of inner drive that will choose hope and will choose trust and will choose faith. I remember a long time ago, I was doing an all-age service, and, and I asked what people thought joy was, and little girl who was about six at the time bounced up and down and she said, it's something inside you that you just can't help. And, you know, I think she was right, actually. We can't define it in grown-up words, but it's something inside us that God gives us that you just can't quite hold down. Trying to speak about life in all its fullness or abundant life is an impossible task. Because it means trying to put concrete descriptions to abstract concepts. Joy, hope, grace, love. We're not promised a life free from trials. In fact, the early followers of Jesus were assured they would face many trials. And we know from history that that is true. But we, like them are promised the equipping not just to survive, not just to exist, not just to go through life with long faces and being really miserable and always awful, but to live and to live abundantly. Some of the people who have most inspired me in their faith over the years have, humanly speaking, had the most, pardon the phrase, God-awful lives. You know, just life has been one problem after another after another. And yet something has shone through. 
hope and faith and love and graciousness. These have been people who have shown what it is to have life in all its fullness. And I'm sure you've all met them too. And so the festival draws to its close and we all look forward to a bit of a rest. Time to have some refreshments and some recreation, of course. But my prayer for all of us is that we may grow in the fullness of our lives, that grace and love and hope and joy will fill us and strengthen us for whatever life may bring, knowing that we walk into the future with that friend who Jesus promised, the Spirit of God. Amen. We're going to combine our prayers of intercession with the hymn that is on the sheet. So I guess we need a few words of explanation, especially for Paul who's got to do all the juggling. We will sing a verse of the hymn and then I will lead a similar length piece of prayer which will end with the words that all may have abundant life and then we will sing the next verse of the hymn. And I will carry on speaking after the last verse of the hymn. And hopefully, we'll all arrive at the end together. So we will remain seated and we will make this hymn a part of our prayer. We cannot own the sunlit sky. God, you shower us daily with gifts beyond measure, new and fresh and delightful. By contrast, we aspire to control, contain and possess, setting up barriers to say, this is my land or that is my house, demanding as if by right Strawberries in winter, or the finest produce at knockdown prices. Forgive us our short sightedness, our selfishness, our greed. Fill us with the grace to take only what we need. Fill us with the joy that comes from sharing 
show us how to choose to live, that all may have abundant life. Peacemaking God, you offer us the gift of peace beyond comprehension in a world beset by fear. By contrast, we aspire to be part of a powerful nation, colluding with systems that oppress the poorest nations, assuming that Western democracy is the answer to all the world's ills. Forgive us our arrogance our insularity, our fear. Fill us with the grace to relinquish our aspirations in favour of the greater good. Fill us with the hope of a world finally at peace. Show us how to choose to live that all may have abundant life. Offer life in abundance to all who will hear your call. By contrast, we through carelessness, weakness, or even through willfulness, hurt or destroy. Speaking hastily, cruel or demeaning words that destroy confidence and diminish hope. Failing to forgive. Nursing grudges or seeing ourselves as hard done by. Forgive us our ingratitude and ungraciousness. Fill us afresh with your life-giving spirit, that your fruits may grow in our lives. Fill us with an indefatigable joy and unquenchable hope. Show us how to grow in Christ, that we may have abundant life. 
life-giving God, source of hope, goal of our seeking. Lead us from words to actions, so that what we have sung and what we have said, we may also live to the glory of Christ. Amen.